Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of this podcast series by the program in international nutrition at Cornell University or as we like to call it the Pin podcast. In this series, trainees in Pin interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. Our interviewers include myself, my name is Nidhi and I'm a research assistant. And I am Elizabeth, a PhD student here at Cornell. Thanks Elizabeth. So today on the podcast, we have our very own PIN alum, Dr. Rahul Rawat, who is currently the Deputy Director of the Maternal, Newborn and Child Health Team at the Gates Foundation. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rawat. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Please call me Rahul. All right, thanks. So to warm up Rahul, could you please tell us more about your career trajectory beginning from your master's at Johns Hopkins and then maybe your PhD at Cornell? Sure. So when I think about getting to where I am, it's a combination of, frankly, luck, circumstance, and and some key sort of ways that I um, thought was more intentional about some of my career choices. But I, I just wanted to emphasize that uh, there was a fair amount of sort of luck and, and, and opportunities that I just uh, seized. Um, I did my master's at Hopkins and got the opportunity, again, just by chance to go to Indonesia uh, right after and work with um, Helen Keller International there. And that was really formative in terms of providing me a insight into sort of nutrition and infection. I, I didn't do nutrition at Hopkins, but I was working on some um, malaria and nutrition work in Indonesia. And it was it was really formative for me in, in helping shape some of my thinking. And by chance, there was an unfortunate incident in Indonesia. There was a bombing in Bali that required us to leave. And I suddenly was back in the States. I was a international student with my visa running out, and I didn't quite know what to do. And I thought, why not apply to a PhD program in international nutrition? And so that was really not something that was on my radar. Uh, I, I don't want to say that I had any grand ambitions. But um, when I was thinking about sort of nutrition and infection, where to do it, uh, Cornell just stood out. You know, the seminal work that Jean-Pierre, David Pelletier, and Edward Frangillo had done was really what caught my attention. And I knew that that's where I wanted to go to do my PhD. And so applied, I got in probably a little later than some of the sort of more stellar candidates. So I was sort of not sure until the very last minute whether I would get in, but I did, very grateful for that. Uh, Worked with Becky Stolzfus, who I know has left Cornell, but was um, outstanding uh, as a a mentor, as a, as a researcher and just had a wonderful time at Cornell. Uh, What I enjoyed the most was just the cohort of uh, PIN, um, fellow PIN trainees at the time. There was this great cohort of us uh, who are very close still. Um, Finished my PhD program, knew that I was not sort of, that a career in academia was not for me. I, I I don't think I was bright enough or had the abilities to sort of go through that very sort of rigorous uh, process of, of trying to get a tenure track position and trying to work the academic ladder. Uh, again, just un- applying to hundreds of, not hundreds, but dozens of jobs that I saw, but it was everything from an NGO to the Gates Foundation thinking 
asking that I could get a job right then to, uh, so really just varied. Someone told me about a job at IFPRI, uh, a postdoc at IFPRI, applied, interviewed, got in. And that was sort of, I think, the next really formative phase for me. I spent nine years at IFPRI, starting as a uh, postdoc to a senior research fellow. And that really opened my eyes to sort of the potential. It was a perfect blend of training and rigor in sort of uh, nutrition and it being very applied. Uh, had the luxury of working with great individuals there, many Pin alums at IFPRI, but again, had the opportunity of finding a great mentor in Marie Ruel, and just, I loved it there. Um, I love the applied nature of, of the work. It was academic, but it was just very applied, working with NGOs, working with UN. And then a sort of, um, you know, I wasn't looking to leave IFPRI. Uh, I was in Senegal during the last stint of IFPRI, and um, during that time, I was a grantee of the Gates Foundation, and a team at the Gates Foundation had just gone through what they call a strategy refresh, and were, you know, had a series of new positions available, and someone reached out to me, and I thought, why not? You know, that's I had been at IFRI for nine years, something else, and came to the Gates Foundation and thought I would be here for two or three years. I'm now at seven years. I know this is not a place where I will sort of spend the rest of my career, but for now, I think I can do some useful things. I enjoy my job and can help move the field in the ways that I think are important. So yeah, here I am talking to you guys. I'm sorry that droned on a little bit. That's my story. Thank you so much. And it's always great to know what our Pinalama are doing and know the career trajectory that they followed. So going back to your work at Gates Foundation right now. Could you please tell us what your current day in life looks like and what projects you're involved in? Yeah, so um, right now I, I lead um, sort of the nutrition work that I would say is within the health system at the Gates Foundation. You know, they're sort of the way we're divided up at the foundation is we have nutrition work as part of food systems and as part of health system. I lead the work on nutrition within the health system. And, you know, it's a pretty large portfolio. So I, I lead a team that focuses on this. And ultimately, we are grant makers, right? So our role is to spend the resources that sort of Bill and Melinda have provided to different strategy teams in the ways that we think can best address our strategy goals. And for my work, you know, it's really focused on Elevating nutrition as part of uh, a critical priority in addressing infant mortality, neonatal mortality, and maternal mortality and morbidity, and saying undernutrition, maternal and child undernutrition, is an underlying vulnerability to these poor outcomes. And so while we care about nutrition for the nutrition SDGs or the Nutrition World Health Assembly targets, you also care about nutrition if you care about neonatal mortality or infant mortality. You can't separate the two. And so my day-to-day -day job involves both elevating nutrition within the Gates Foundation and making sure that we are prioritizing nutrition internally so that we can get the resources to make grants. And so ultimately, it's, it's about making grants. And it's, you know, but by nature of... Um, the funding that we provide, it is so varied. We work 
heavily with WHO and UNICEF and the World Bank to uh, NGOs in our priority geographies or other technical assistance agencies and academia. So it, it's very varied, but um, yeah, that's sort of what I do right now. This is very interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about several questions right. <laughs> to dig up there, but but I'll start with with the traveling component because I think most of us in PN are always thinking about you know going to the field and and, and doing work there. And uh, we heard you uh, just now talking about your time in Indonesia and Senegal. And so I wonder a couple of things: if your current job also involves a lot of traveling. And in general, how do you balance all that? Like the, the commitments and the responsibilities of yeah. traveling, doing that work and also staying connected with, with the local the, the yeah. team. So right now, um, I have to make be intentional about the travel that I do. But if I if I wasn't, I could be gone multiple multiple international trips a month you know but it's not that's not uh, manageable right and it's not it's not useful necessarily but i do travel a lot that's the nature of the work we do because i think there's no utility in me sitting in seattle sort of managing a portfolio of you know a hundred million dollars a year by sitting in seattle in the middle of northwest corner of, of the u.s so um, there is a lot of travel but i think it's about prioritizing travel and not feeling like I need to be in every meeting in person all the time and recognizing that we actually have a team and there are meetings or field visits that individual team members can do and report back and we can get a good understanding of that. So there's no utility in having FOMO. We don't need to be everywhere uh, all the time, but yeah, it's a it's a fair amount of travel. I think I probably end up now post pandemic, probably one international trip a year, but I have to balance it out. I have a young family that's sort of my priority too, and I have um, two boys who are sort of eight and eleven now, and I want to make sure that I'm around for them and not leaving anyone to single parent all the time. So yeah, so it's 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 a balancing act that's constant. And I would, when you start out in your career, I think you always think like, oh, I just want to be traveling in the field. And that's great. It really is. And I think you need to get out into the field and do that. And then I think at some point you just have to realize that, you know, you've got a personal life and you've got things to balance. And um, again, I, I keep, I, I tell people don't have that fear of missing out all the time. You, you can delegate make choices about not being somewhere yeah that sounds that sounds like i should like make a little note and, and leave it in my computer yeah. a place where i can see it when you're old like me you you have to do that but i think when you're when you're young and fresh out of grad school i think it's it's the time to sort of be in the field like really um sort of the international conferences are great um to network but i think where you can learn a lot and where you actually stand out when you're trying to network with people is the experience that you have in the field and sort of the skill set that you can demonstrate. So yeah, go, go to the field now. Well, this is an excellent uh, lead to my next question, which is basically some insights, some, something you have learned from all your traveling and working with so many different partners and what you see from your position as the priorities. In, in international nutrition in, in for global health? That's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to formulate a coherent answer. But I would say 
one thing that I'm trying to do through my work now is sort of elevating the importance of maternal and child undernutrition in the sort of global development agenda and within that the global health agenda, right? I mean, I think the problem that we in nutrition, sorry, you'll you're going to see my kids walking. It's um, school. Well, probably this is a podcast, so you you won't they won't see them. But you you don't need to edit this out. But my kids are walking in the background, and we're helping with breakfast and stuff like that. But anyway, um, I was trying to make a point, uh, which was um, yes, um, I think in, in our community, nutrition has suffered from nutrition people talking to nutrition people only, right? We're in an echo chamber. So we're so frustrated that nutrition isn't a priority for the pediatricians or the agriculture folks because we've been in an echo chamber. And part of what I'm learning and what I could continue to try to do is get out of that nutrition echo chamber and elevate nutrition as a priority in other sectors. And that is something that we're doing, and I'll explain in the PIN seminar today, kind of the way um, my team is structured at the Gates Foundation, where we sit within a maternal newborn child health team, um, but there's a nutrition portfolio. So that's one thing that I've learned that, that I think is important to do. Um, the other thing I would say is like, it is important to go to the field to you know understand sort of who this work is trying to serve and think about it from their perspective. So a good example that I think about is, you know, we all care about nutrition during pregnancy, right? And we talk about here are the nutrition recommendations for antenatal care, and we need to get this and this and this. At the same time, there are other in maternal health, they're also saying, hey, there's this antenatal care platform. Here are all the things we care about. IPTP for malaria, right? But ultimately, it's it all converges on a single woman who has to experience all of this. There's a single platform that we all need to leverage. And I think that perspective is an important one to bring. Like, think about the time burden of receiving these interventions, the time burden to go to a facility. And, and don't think about it as the nutrition silo, but think about it as nutrition as one component that converges on, in this case, a single pregnant woman on a delivery platform. And I think that's a useful thing uh, and a good reminder for me as I as I continue this work. Thanks, Rahul, for pointing out some priority areas in nutrition that uh, we should focus on. So I was wondering, and this will be also relevant to most of our listeners who are young trainees in international nutrition. So could you please tell us how your grad school training helped you to realize that these are the priority areas in nutrition that you would like to focus on, or if you have any advice for them as they progress into their careers? Yeah, I will say that, you know, I um, absolutely love being a graduate student right at Cornell it was um, idyllic in in many ways um, I loved the rigor of the training and but when I think about what I take away the most and sort of what courses were uh, fundamental you know I I think they end up being ones that maybe people wouldn't think of as being uh, the most influential so one was uh I don't know what it's called now, but I, we, we used to call it NS703, which was that uh, uh, 
the seminar. The seminar where you pick a research paper and, and yeah. you know, that was so good. It was scary, um, but picking a, a mentor to do that with was great because what it taught you was how to communicate well, how to communicate um, succinctly, which I'm not doing right now, so ignore that, but um, pick out sort of the most critical um, pieces of information uh, there. So that sort of communication piece was really important. The other um, course that was just um, outstanding was the course that um, Jean-Pierre um, led it was on, um, it was actually, I think, if I recall correctly, it was really focused on vitamin A, but it, it took the perspective of looking at sort of sort of more upstream discovery in biochemistry around vitamin A to policies and programs, right? And, and it just provided insight into how you can take a single topic and really think about it from multiple perspectives. And why that's useful is to understand where people are coming from right you know i think you you believe that we all have good intention and there's we can all all the work that people are doing does, doesn't matter if it's in a lab to someone who works on um financing and advocacy for nutrition like there's there's um ways to understand their perspective and leverage that to what our objectives are so i i, I thought that was another great course and the last thing i will say is um what I have learned is that it's really important to find good mentors, right? As a graduate student, it really is important. And I, I know, I'm not saying this is a Cornell necessarily, but there certainly in, when I talk to colleagues who went to other programs as well, you realize how bad it is to have a lousy mentor, right? And it takes effort to find good mentors. And I think Graduate students need to invest in that. So there's no point in going to someone's office hours and saying, I want to work with you, unless you've done some work in understanding kind of really what it is that their portfolio does, like how can they help you? And actually talking to other graduate students and saying, is this person a good mentor or not? You know, um, Becky Stoltzfus was an amazing mentor to me. And um, throughout my career, I've had the good fortune of having really amazing mentors. And um, as I sort of get older and uh, become more senior in the field, and I now have to sort of provide leadership to a team and, and think about how I mentor them, like I think about what stood out to me in, in the good mentors that I had, and I try to emulate that. But I would say it's an investment that graduate students need to make in finding those good mentors because a lousy mentor is is terrible and there are lots of lousy mentors out there yeah i think i think we can all uh, identify with the importance of having a good mentor like someone who can really help you understand where you are in terms of career and, and academia and especially i will say as, a, as an international student and yeah. and so we are we have uh, a good number of international students here at pin yeah. and and you mentioned it before that you would also an international student and also have that circumstances with visa and trying to figure out the next steps. And so in terms of your long career, um, what were things that kept you motivated to continue to work? Because I imagine you also had a lot of uh, difficulties and frustrations with life in general, also as an international 
a student and trying to figure out ways and, and understand new how to live in new countries, new systems, etc. And so what helped you stay motivated with all this? Yeah, um, I think what was really essential for me was having a good network of people that are part of your sort of safety net, frankly, right? I mean, and, and that network in at Cornell, at Hopkins before, I'm still very close to, you know, some of my um, closest friends now are people that I met in grad school. And so like leaning on them, uh, realizing that you're all, you know, you're go- you all have coming from similar sort of circumstances. And it's not just, you know, I mean, I think I agree with you that, you know, there's a unique set of challenges that being an international student has, but I, I would say also that, you know, even even those who are not American, uh, international students bring their own challenges. And so I think that fostering a good network is really important and frankly, having fun, right? I mean, um, I, I never missed a Friday at the Big Red Barn. Right, like that was uh, the $1 beer was great. The free food you'd get was fantastic. But I think about the fun that I had at Cornell and, and that network that I'm leveraging, it, it goes down to the barn and, and places like that. And so I, I just think it's, uh, while we're all focused on sort of the academic work that we have um, and our academic careers, I'll just say that I think um, taking time to invest and develop a social network and a support system is, is really important. Before before Nidhi uh, closes it up, I will say the big red barn is still here, and we still have one dollar beers and free food. Uh, so, for so, so maybe if I, if I don't <laughs> if I don't screw up the seminar too badly, someone can invite me to come in person, and we can go out to the barn on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we for sure would like to have you in person again. And well. This is towards the end of our podcast. And thank you so much for a great conversation. And before we let you go, as per the tradition, we will be asking you just two very simple questions and you could answer it in any order. So uh, could you please tell us about a few of the things that you really like about your current position or a few things which you would rather change or the worst thing about your job? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I love that I am working in an institution that has resources to really um, help advance the field, but also help serve the people that we're doing. I mean, it's a it's a privilege not to think about fundraising, right? And and I, I never forget that, that it's really is a privilege to be able to to have these resources. It's a huge responsibility. Um, I will say that I think a lot of people say, oh, you're at the Gates Foundation. How great is that? It's so, all you're doing is writing checks and giving away money. I was like, yeah, but it's really difficult to do, to give away money well, because it's an investment you're making in lives of people. And, and we're a family foundation and um, the metrics of success are not like a private company return on investment, but it's return on investment in terms of building human capital in people's lives. And we are held accountable to that. So that's a, it's a, it's a tough job, but really uh, very grateful to, to have it. And I, and I think that's what I enjoy the most about my job, thinking that I, there's good work that I can do to help people. So that's, that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. All right. So, well, that was it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Rahul. 
Thank you very much, Nidhi and Elizabeth. I appreciated talking to you. Awesome. And thank you to the listeners of this podcast. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing researchers in international nutrition and global health. Thanks for listening.